Okay, pleased to be joined for another episode of The Pod by Paul Campbell from In Goal Magazine. He's a goalie writer and only awesome people get to write about goalies. It's kind of like getting into Hogwarts. So Paul, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing great. I've never been introduced like that before, but uh, I'd say lucky people uh, and, uh, and former goalies, maybe current goalies get to write about goalies and, and maybe that's it. So it's kind of like Hogwarts, but the, the selection process is uh, somewhat less rigorous. Yeah, do you have to uh, throw on the sorting hat to figure out what your goaltending style is going to be? Uh, yeah, but it, it's actually a mask. Uh, and then it, it basically tells you, you know, butterfly hybrid stand up and it gives you an appropriate era, gives you a depth and, and you know, you can work from there. Uh, but everything is pretty much decided from the outset when you're about eight years old. Oh, that's perfect. I, I'm, I'm glad you were able to carry on the joke and the analogy to its, uh, its logical end. This, this is a fantastic way to start the pod. Um, so, Paul, I wanted to have you on because I stumbled upon your piece as to why goalies should or should not qualify for the Hart Trophy. And that's always intrigued me because I, the language surrounding the Hart uh, being that the player most valuable to his team to me, that means like nine times out of 10, you're going to be landing with the goalie who either dragged their team to relevance or dragged them to cup contention. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this year's example is Hellebuck. So can you explain kind of your methodology and as to whether or not he should qualify for this year's sure. heart? Absolutely. So the, the language of the heart is pretty, it's pretty ambiguous. Uh, and a lot of unwritten rules have arisen over the uh, duration of the award so it's become a real vexatious point that the player has to make the playoffs now I have no idea why that needs to be the case but uh, the voting media just for some reason always ends up going with someone who's made the playoffs um, I don't think that's relevant or valid and, I, and I'm not going to use that as a criterion um, something I do like though is that the heart has become a somewhat informal way of uh, crowning the most valuable player in the league. So even though it's the most valuable player to their team, uh, often the heart is thought of as you know, the, the MVP of the league for the year, uh, regardless of um, their value to their team. So I don't mind that so much. Uh, I think that uh, a league should have a most valuable player award. Uh, and I think the heart has to be that for the NHL because there's really no, there's no other option, uh, except the one uh, that the, the players vote on, of course. But that, that's not exactly the same. It's another kind of honor. Uh, but the league should have an MVP award, and I think the heart should be it. Um, that being said, as you said, um, looking at any statistical measure, if you want to look at point shares, old point shares from Hockey Reference, or if you want to look at um, evolving hockey's um, goals saved um, above expected, or, or um, uh, uh, sort of wins above replacement or goals above replacement, um, you can see that goaltenders, uh, because they play a lot, like forwards play, uh, you know, uh, really good forwards play a third of every game, right? Whereas a starting goaltender might play, um, you know, three quarters of their team's games, right, for the year, or, or you know, 80, 80, 85% of a team's games. So just from starting so often and playing so much hockey, uh, the goaltender gets a disproportionate amount of blame or credit uh, by any statistical model. And so, as you were saying, goaltenders would finish in the most valuable to their team category, successful goaltenders. They'd probably be the top four or five in the league most years, or, you know, three or four of the top five. So if you wanted to go by which player contributed the most to their team each year, it would almost always be a goalie. And I don't think that's in the spirit of the award. But they've also gone the other way. 
and a goaltender almost never wins. So I was trying to think of a methodology that would allow goaltenders to win sometimes, as you'd expect they would, uh, but without sort of absolutely dominating um, the, the award every season, like they could if you just did it sort of uh, as objectively as possible. So uh, the first criteria I think a goaltender needs to meet is they have to be the best goaltender in the league for the season. And I know that um, different people vote on the Vesna Trophy than, than the Hart Trophy, the general managers vote on the Vesna. Um, however, uh, a goaltender should certainly be above his peers. And uh, I think a goaltender has to be um, absolutely exceptional in a given season. So if there's a huge gap between the best goaltender and the next best goaltender or the next, or, or the sort of the flight of goaltenders beneath them, then I think they have a chance uh, and should be considered for the heart. But if it's a real neck and neck race with two or three goaltenders um, at the top, then I don't think a goaltender uh, deserves that kind of consideration unless, um, without that separation. Uh, then the, the really difficult thing, obviously, is then comparing to players. Uh, and what I'd like to do there is, uh, what I did in the article a few years ago, is you take sort of a weighted average of a goaltender's uh, maybe goal uh, point shares or um, goals uh, above replacement, and um, you see how far above um, his peers a goaltender is. So you look at, say, the league average, and you see how far above um, the, the, the average for goaltenders that that goaltender is. And then you look at forwards, and um, you look at how far above his peers a forward is. Uh, and then when you look at those scores, you can see, oh, wait a minute, this goaltender is farther above his goaltending peers than any forward is above his forward peers. So the goaltender then has a legitimate case uh, to be made. So I, I, th I think that pretty much uh, outlines the, me the methodology that, that I think is the most fair. Okay. And so you're using, you know, stats like expected goals and goals saved above average and stuff like that to kind of determine where the goaltenders fall relative to their peers? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I really like to do it statistically because as much as I, well, in fact, I think this is a problem. I really like certain goaltenders and I really like certain players. And if I sort of went by the eye test, uh, an incredible amount of bias and favoritism would creep in, even if you're really trying not to do that. So I really like using statistical measures uh, to make this as objective as possible. Yeah, I, I, I try to find the balance between leaning on the statistics, but also leaning on uh, more, I guess, subjective measures, uh, just because it's ultimately the heart is also a bit of a narrative award. That's how you get this ambiguous nature of it. Um, so, it, you know, in, in the context of this year's award, Hellebuck, would he or would he not qualify for the heart for you this year? Uh, based on your criteria? Because for me, I ended up nudging him all the way to second on my make-believe ballot. Uh, for this year, Hellebuck doesn't, doesn't get there for me. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an odd year, right? Because there are uneven numbers of games and there's so much unpredictability. Who's making the playoffs? What are the playoffs? But there are a lot of un unanswered questions. But when I look at the goaltenders most deserving of even the Vesna Award, Hellebuck is maybe one or one, two, depending on which statistics um, you like best. So uh, in the who should win the Vesna uh, piece that I did this year, we have data from ClearSight Analytics. Um, and CSA provides 34 points of data on every single shot. So they tell you, you know, um, the location of the shot, obviously, the, the distance from the goal. But also, was there a screen? Was there a deflection? Was there a cross-ice pass or two beforehand? 
And so they get a really good handle on how goaltenders uh, are faring against very specific types of shots. And they can create an average uh, for that type of shot. And so you can see where their goaltender is performing above average on spotlight passes or deflection or screens. And by taking a goaltender's average on, uh, on all of those shot type situations, uh, you can see how far above or below average, uh, how far above or below his peers a goaltender is performing. And um, Hellebuck was um, neck and neck in those measures with uh, Jacob Markstrom, who is not going to win the Vezina Award this year, but probably deserves to, or at least deserves to be, uh, one of the finalists. So, and then Tukarask is also very close to the leaders uh, in his performance above expected. And so when you have three goaltenders who are really duking it out, it, there's no clear separation there. And for me, um, even though Tukarask, I think, didn't play as much, had a really great tandem partner, his team didn't need him to be as good. Um, however, uh, Markstrom, uh, the, the Canucks don't go anywhere uh, unless Markstrom has a fantastic season. Uh, and so to say that Hellebuck was uh, a, a difference maker in a way that Markstrom wasn't really just isn't accurate. And so there's no runaway winner for the Vesna, and neither of those guys did a lot better than the other guy uh, as far as dragging their team along. So uh, I don't think Hellebuck can really be in the conversation for Hart this year, at least um, as far as I'm concerned. I'm really glad that you brought up ClearSight Analytics is uh, their model because, you know, looking at just goals saved above average and even some expected goals models, they really don't touch on the context the way that ClearSight does. And you can really see, whereas Markstrom doesn't grade out that well by some of those other stats, he, he grades out really highly uh, by ClearSight's model. And that falls much farther in line with what we saw this season or what it, it sure felt like this season with when Markstrom got injured and had to be replaced by Thatcher Demko and, and the Canucks really spiraled to a point where the season not come to a halt, they may have found themselves outside the playoff picture, which really speaks to his value in the context of the heart, but also in terms of the Vesna. So if, if no goalie qualified this year for the heart for you, then I guess that that moves our conversation over to the Vesna. And you said Hellebuck and Markstrom kind of neck and neck by the clear sight model, but I think you lean Markstrom here. So beyond just the modeling, uh, what really led you to that belief? Um, one of one of the things that impressed me most about Markstrom's, uh, and this is just statistical, um, watching them play, they're, they're both big body goalies and they, they have somewhat different styles, but um, Markstrom's performance above expected uh, was, was tops in the league. So basically, if you look at, uh, it's, a, it's a delta save percentage, really, which is what they're, they're doing. So you look at what you would expect his save percentage to be, and then what his um, actual save percentage, according to them, is. And uh, Markstrom was um, leading the league uh, by, you know, a, a slight margin over Tukarask, but um, I think Hellebuck was in fourth in that individual performance measure. So Markstrom gets the edge there. Uh, and then the other big measure that I like is essentially their version of goals saved above average. Um, with all the adjustments that they can make and, and the uh, fine gradiness of the data, uh, Hellebuck and Markstrom were one-two, and it was very, very close. And I, and I thought, well, it's impressive that Hellebuck was able to maintain this over you know, uh, more games played. But Markstrom was able to um, you know, save his team 
just as many ghouls in a far shorter period of time. So those were almost a wash for me. I think maybe I would have had them 1A and 1B in some order. But then I looked at the difficulty of their environment. And um, surprisingly, Markstrom's environment, I believe, was the, uh, it was something like the 10th most difficult in the league. It might have, it might have even been fourth. I, I'd have to check that. But um, Markstrom's, Markstrom's environment, the difficulty of this environment, was, um, was pretty extraordinary. And Hellebuck didn't face the same kind of difficulty. Even though Hellebuck faced a lot of shots, the most in the league, um, a lot of his shots didn't come on lateral passes, didn't come on slot line plays, multiple deflections. So he faced a lot of rubber from in close, um, right down the middle. But those shots aren't as difficult to save as those lateral passes those um, multiple lateral passes that Markstrom uh, faced a lot of this season. Um, so Markstrom had the more difficult environment and his performance on the most difficult shots, which are those slot line passes, those long laterals, uh, was excellent. He was in the elite tier uh, top of the league, whereas Hellebuck was, in, and if you've watched Hellebuck, you know that he's not a great lateral goalie. Um, when he closes his holes and fills net, uh, he does great. And Winnipeg sort of worked to his strengths this year uh, in Vancouver. They were working to Markstrom's strengths in, in some ways because he is a, he is a goaltender, but uh, making those saves is much more difficult. So with all of that in consideration, uh, it, it put Markstrom just ahead uh, in my mind over Hellebuck, despite having played fewer games. Interesting. You know, just thinking about kind of the narratives that were surrounding these two teams, I wouldn't have thought that Hellebuck's environment was that much cushier than Markstrom's. If anything, I thought it, I would have thought that those would have been reversed. And so that's got to be a testament to the job that Paul Maurice did with a defense corps that they lost 25 plus million dollars worth of uh, defenseman value from that blue line. They lost four regulars, uh, all top six guys from that team and still, I guess, held it together enough that Hellebuck could put on uh, a, a rather strong performance despite the the volume of shots, but maybe not uh, as difficult of shots as Markstrom. Uh, Paul, you mentioned the number of games played. Do you think that there is a threshold that they need to meet in order to qualify for Vesna and Hart consideration? Yeah, I think if you're going to win the Hart you have, uh, and this is informal, um, I've, I've not studied um, goalie heart wins. There's so few, uh, it wouldn't be much of a study. But a goaltender is going to have to play 65 games plus in order to qualify for the heart. In order to be the most valuable player to your team in the league, uh, you have to play most of the games uh, by, by a wide margin. So I can't imagine a goaltender winning the heart with 50 games played or 55. It, it'd have to be 65 plus. Uh, they'd have to be the clear work, workhorse on the team. For the Vesna, personally, I, I like anything over 45 games. Uh, I think that's a fair sample, uh, getting up to 50 games. Um, for the general managers, though, and I think this is an important distinction, uh, my idea of who should win uh, and who's most deserving doesn't necessarily match my prediction about who will win. So to say that Markstrom is maybe the most deserving uh, and should win the Vesna Award, uh, is a different thing than my saying uh, what, what my prediction would be about who's going to win the best. And uh, my prediction is Hellebuck because the general managers uh, historically have tended to want 50 games played. 
uh, or prorated 50 games played. Uh, only three goalies in the history of the Vesna, as it's voted on today since 1981-82, have played less than 50 games and still won the award. And those were all in the 1980s. So unless you clear that 50 game or 50 pro-rated game uh, benchmark, uh, it's never happened that uh, that person has won the Vesna award. So that, that, that 50 game barrier is, is pretty important. Yeah, for me, I placed it at 60% as a ballpark, you know, kind of have that 60-40 split in goal. And that's 49 games for an 82-game season. But yeah. you take a guy like Markstrom and what he did in 70 games, he played 43. So that would also hit that threshold in, uh, in a shortened season. Yeah, and uh, most recently when I was trying to do the um, – the prediction of which goaltender would win. I, I took the prorated games uh, for all the goalies based on the number of um, games their teams played. And there aren't that many highly ranked goaltenders who fit the bill, which is going to make the voting this year, I think, more interesting. Uh, and it's also part of the reason I think Hellebuck will win uh, in a rather decided fashion. I believe Rask's prorated uh, games this year is 48, which leaves him a little bit short. And having played 41 games uh, total uh, and having a really great tandem partner in, in Halak, uh, I, I think that's going to make it look like Rask wasn't really uh, as impressive, right, as his, as his numbers indicate. If your backup or your tandem partner is putting up great numbers, in some, in, in some ways uh, better numbers than you are, then uh, the voters have to wonder, well, is that the team uh, or, is, or, or is that the goaltender? And I think uh, Ben Bishop, uh, is going to suffer a similar fate because even though he's uh, he has enough games under his belt this year and a pretty good save percentage and goal saved above average, uh, Kudobin has been fantastic. Um, he has a 9.30 save percentage uh, and I believe the third highest goal saved um, above average this year. But uh, he just hasn't he hasn't played enough games uh, to to really qualify. So I think the, the, those goaltenders are sort of going to wash each other out and they're not going to be nominated. So you've referenced who should win, who will win in the context of the GMs are the ones who vote on this. So maybe that they're not the most objective people. And certainly we've seen some of the, the bad goalie contracts that they've handed out over the years. Uh, maybe, maybe they don't have a total uh, grasp or understanding of, uh, of where goaltender value lies. Um, are we even doing the Vezina right? Like, no. Lundqvist only won it once, and Luongo never won it. Um, I, I think I wrote about this uh, a while ago. In the year that um, uh, Hank won, Mike Smith actually had performance measures that probably should have put him uh, in, in top spot. It was very close, but uh, I, I, I remember distinctly thinking, man, this is, uh, I mean, Hank's going to win, and he deserves it. Uh, there, it was a, I think it was a three-way race. I think it was quick. Uh, Hank and Smith that year and uh, and Hank ended up winning and it was, and it was well deserved I mean he had fantastic numbers behind uh, not that strong a team uh, he's a perennial all-star he's probably the most consistent excellent goaltender of his generation um, but yeah the criteria that the GMs have adopted uh, don't reflect the quality uh, of goaltending in the league uh, I won't say at all but the relationship is not direct. Uh, a really good example from just a couple of years ago, and this is an ancient history. Now, sometimes you look at things that happened in the 80s and 
you know, someone won the, the award because they had so many wins, right? Or they played so many games and the team was good. Uh, but if you look at Braden Holpe's uh, Vesna from just a couple of years ago, I think it was 2016, um, he tied the all-time wins record. So he had 48 wins. And as soon as that happened, I knew that he was going to win the Vesna. I would have bet my house if I'd been, you know, allowed because there was no possible way the Jones were going to be able to resist giving a goaltender who tied the all-times win record uh, the Vesna award. But by all the performance measures that even the Jones usually use, uh, whether they're, they're aware of it or not, uh, he was not the best goaltender. He didn't have uh, the best save percentage. He had the most wins, but um, he was, I think, uh, fifth in goals saved above average. Uh, just the numbers didn't add up at all, but the wins were able to vault him over the top. So even in this day and age with access to advanced statistics and way better performance measures, um, I, I said in, the, the, in a recent article, if a goaltender ever manages to win 50 games, uh, they're going to find a way to give them two Vesna awards because they value wins that much. <laughs> to, to, two, two trophies. Maybe, maybe just give them a bigger trophy or something like that. They'll invent something because they value they value wins to such a degree that if someone were ever to like, to like get fifty, I mean that's such a mat a hundred points all by yourself, they'd find a way. I mean that might be a hard conversation. They would ignore all the other criteria and say, well, he he brought you fifty wins. Um, you know this guy. This guy, even though it's not the James who voted, they they would definitely be poking for that guy to win a few awards. Oh, that just makes me think of the uh, the Will Ferrell scene in Starsky and Hutch where he wants not one but two dragons. That's great. Um, So, uh, you know, for me, the Vesna, it just holds so much weight in terms of that long-term legacy. And, you know, even, even if we can't resolve how to better vote on the Vesna, I still think that there should be something that better captures someone who was who's dominant for a really long stretch the way that Lundqvist was, even though he only won one. So my idea is to have something like a uh, world wrestling entertainment goalie championship belt that they could strut around with until (laughs) they're declared no longer the champion of goaltending. And like when they aren't in net, when they're just playing backup, working the door, they could have the belt resting over their shoulder. What do you think of that idea, Paul? I love it. Um, even better, it's just to make it even more goalie specific. Instead of a belt, well, belt's fine too, but they could have the um, top goalie towel. And, and uh, it would be like the backup towel, except that, you know, because they, they would only wear it on the bench, right, when they're, when they're not playing. And it would be like, you know, it would have to be a certain color, of very, like, a, like the yellow jersey, right, in the France or something. And uh, that, you know, that person, you know, you would know, wait, it's, it's the yellow towel goalie, right? They're, 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 the, they're, they're the best in the league, that they, they're the champion. I just don't know who you'd get to vote. Who's going to, who would decide? Yeah, it would have to be like you and me because the GMs, <laughs> we know they can't do it. The players would just give it to Carey Price until the world ends. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how we resolve that, but um, – we, we got to figure it out. And j- just your idea of the towel, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. I've never played goaltender, but how feasible would it be to wear a sash? Oh, that's a hundred percent. I don't even think, I don't even think it would impair anything as long as it was properly fitted. You could do it hundred percent. You could even play with that. 
Um, I, I mean, I, there might be a rule against, uh, yeah, there might be a rule against having a weird addition to your uniform, but you could definitely wear it on the bench. Well, I think the the goalie champion should have a sash <laughs> and they should wear it while they're in net. And if it gets them one extra save, I don't care. <laughs> I was that good, I used my sash. They've earned it. I mean, you know, it's like when you make a butt end save with your with your goal stick, right? Like, hey, it was there, right? It was, it was I I mean, it's part of it's part of the game, part of your equipment. I I think it's fair game. Excellent. This, this just keeps getting better and better. Um, so Paul, I've had a little bit of difficulty trying to kind of map out my timeline for who the goalie champion throughout the years has been. Like, I think it goes Patrick Waugh from the mid eighties to the mid nineties and then mm -hmm. Hasek until Oh two when he wins the cup and leaves for a year. What happens after that? Is it just JS Jaguar because he came out armored up like Thanos? Mm, you know, Jaguar would be on that list for me pretty briefly. I, like, I'd want this to be uh, sort of enduring. Like when you talked about Wa having that, you know, uh, holding that, that uh, title for a few years and then, and then having. Um, I'd like it to be someone who played through most of that stretch. But I don't know, when, when's, when's Luongo's first, uh, first real season? It's pre-lockout, but I don't think he's that strong until uh, after the lockout. Like, I think he has some years where he's absolutely bombarded in Florida pre-lockout. So the numbers aren't good, and we don't really have any advanced stats pre-lockout to know yeah, for sure. Right. But I'd want to go, I'd want to uh, take the torch and hand it from uh, Hasek to Lou, even if they're, you know, even if it has to sit somewhere else or under, on a, or under another goaltender for a while. And then, um, Youngfist and then Price. And then, uh, and now we're getting, now we're getting a little bit too modern and, you know, and Price's reign would, I don't know, it would be relatively short too, uh, because he's, um, you know, he's been a gamer for his whole career in Montreal, but his numbers, uh, in the early days, weren't that fantastic either. So I, I don't know, and I don't know who'd have it right now. Um, I mean, Price certainly shouldn't be holding that, shouldn't be wearing the sash right now. Uh, someone like Vasilevsky is more appealing, uh, but again, I don't know if he's if he's there. Um, I don't know if he's he's earned it consistently over you know uh, enough seasons right to, to have that. So I don't know. What do you what do you think? Well, so Price, his reign would be very short uh, because as soon as he gets run over by Chris Kreider, it's basically over for him as yeah. disgustingly elite. But for me, the last three seasons before this one, it was John Gibson, like hands down. No one stopped more pucks than that guy. Ah, uh, yes. A horrible environment. And then, like, was it just so horrible that now he's fallen into bad habits? Or what happened to Gibson this year? Um, great question. Uh, and I, I've forgotten about Gibson because uh, he toils away um, anonymously, but I mean, he toils away under the burden uh, that the sort of ducks have stuck him with. However, I, I, someone mentioned this to me the other day and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, they were proposing that Randy Carlisle is a goalie boost. Um, the way that he play, um, runs his system uh, defensively just allows tons of shots. However, uh, it does eliminate some of the most difficult kinds of shots. 
And so you're getting constantly peppered. You're always busy. You're always in the game. But your um, teams aren't getting, you know, one really great clear chance, right? They're just getting a ton of uh, relatively lower difficulty chances. Uh, and so that ends up boosting a goaltender's uh, statistics, boosts their save percentage, and it makes them look a lot better. Now, I think Gibson is an excellent goaltender, and I think that um, Car- no, Car- Carlisle's system was uh, entirely the credit for his success. But even if you looked, uh, I was thinking back to Carlisle in Toronto, back when um, a long time ago when Reimer and Bernier were both there. And at one point, it was about halfway through a season, uh, and they were running close to a 940 between them. I mean, it was absolutely scandalous, the numbers they were putting up behind that awful um, defense with that terrible looking structure. But I thought, ah, you know, maybe the way that this guy runs, uh, runs the team, it might not be great for sustained success uh, for a lot of advanced stats. Uh, it's, it's obviously exhausting, but uh, maybe he's onto something. Maybe he is uh, able to allow certain kinds of shots uh, while limiting more dangerous kinds, making some goaltenders uh, who fit the system look a lot better. Are you suggesting that Randy Carlisle is the AllSpark? <laughs> don't take me out of context he's a he's a, might be in some ways intentionally or maybe accidentally uh, making life feel worse for his goalies but making their stats look better uh so that it's, it's sort of just a working theory so i don't want to give him too much credit i have not independently investigated this or, or taken very specific shot location and data uh and, and dug in but it's a it's a feasible theory to me. Yeah, well, just anecdotally, Gibson tailed off at the end of last season, and that would mirror Carlisle getting fired there as well. So, you know, that uh, you may be onto something there. Well, um, allow me to to return to one of my uh, favorite examples of like coaching influence on goalies, and people often don't think of fit a goaltender style fitting the way a coach likes to coach and the systems that he uses. But, Look at Carey Price under uh, Mishaterian. You see him thriving. And people were constantly basting Terrian for his insistence on a real north-south game where um, you dump the puck into your own zone. You create a lot of puck battles uh, in the neutral zone. And hopefully you're in position to win like slightly more than half of them. And then you end up getting good rushes. Uh, and you get more odd man rushes than you, know, you, you would expect unless you do get possession. On the flip side, you give up a ton of odd man rushes. And so it's like this weird track meet uh, that Terrian's uh, system uh, led to. However, Carey Price is excellent at reading plays. And so when you have the other team getting possession in the neutral zone, regardless of how many men you have back, uh, a goaltender has a lot of time to read that play. These things unfold in a very predictable way. You have a lot of time to see it coming. You switch to Julian uh, in Montreal. And then you see, wait a minute, we're, we're a puck possession team. We're going to carry the puck over the blue line. We're going to make short passes. We have a lot of puck support. And that's great. But when you do lose the puck, you're not losing it at the red line, right? You're giving up possession inside your own zone, right? You're giving up possession at the blue line if that, if that pass fails. Uh, and so then there's a scramble. And a great play reading goaltender doesn't have the time, doesn't have the you know, the uh, luxury, right, of being able to watch a play develop at across the blue line if, if a broken play leads to a quick rush. And so Price has suffered under Julian, I think, um, uh, for maybe some of the same reasons that Gibson uh, is suffering now. 
That's so interesting, the context surrounding the goaltender, making the goaltender, and it not even necessarily being just about this is a good context, this is a bad context, like black and white. It's more shades of gray, whereas like the the actual fit for what the goalie is good at mattering that much. This is all like well beyond anything I could assess. But I'm wondering, Paul, uh, goalies hitting free agency this summer, which ones do you think would be the best devoid of context? Like which ones would you invest in? Uh, I mean, um, it, let's see. Has Markstrom re-signed already? I know he was a free agent who was um, very highly, who should have been very highly coveted. I believe, though, he signed again in uh, Vancouver, although he was coming up for, for, for to be a free agent. So I would have pursued Markstrom, obviously. I would have given him the best of the season, so he would have been on my list. Um, Robin Lehner is a fantastic goaltender who still isn't adequately appreciated. In Las Vegas, they run a system that's ideally suited for flurry. And, which is part of the reason that Pryor, uh, when he was sort of the goalie development guy at the top there, wanted him and wanted Subban because they're excellent lateral tenders. So the, the way they play in, in Vegas is they um, have their goalies challenge uh, and the D attempts to, to, to um, take away the back door. So the goaltender is free to do that. But when it breaks down, a guy like Fleury um, has incredible feet, incredible lateral movement. Same as uh, similar to Subban, although Fleury is a step above, and he's able to you know, cover that space. And Lehner fit in seamlessly this season in that system because he's uh, an excellent lateral goaltender with great feet, great explosive dynamic motion. Uh, and Lehner certainly isn't a blocking goaltender, so he's able to read the play well, improvise, uh, and cover a lot of lateral space quickly. So we fit in perfectly. But also last year, Lehner. Uh, was in a totally different system, right? Or, or sorry, the year before when he was in New York. Um, and so Chicago was a bit rough on him, but he did well there. When he was in New York behind that really strangling system that limited shot quality and limited shot totals, he did well there. So Laner seems to be a, a really adaptable goaltender. Uh, and so if you're looking at sort of overall who I'd have at the top of my list, I think it would be that guy. Yeah, he's the one who really stands out for me because, like you mentioned, he thrived in both uh, Long Island and in Chicago. Uh, and I'm not sure I, – I still think Markstrom's going to hit uh, unrestricted free agency. He hasn't signed yet. Um, on, on the flip side of that, what goalie needy situations do you think would be the best to head for out of Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver – Ottawa, Chicago, Minnesota, Detroit, Buffalo, and San Jose. Oof, that's quite a list. Um, I would have um, Edmonton see, seems to have stabilized their goaltending situation. Uh, I'm not a huge uh, I'm not a huge fan of either of the goaltenders there, but they, they seem to have got the job this year. They seem to have figured things out. So yeah, me neither. Think, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's where he's um, he's 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 going to sail. Um, I, I mean, I'd like to see him. I, I'd actually like to see him stay in Vegas. Uh, he and Flurry are are highly complementary. They're both working very well. I think um, Laner is now the better goaltender of the two. If you ask me who I would pick of either of those two to stay, it would have been him. In fact, uh, even in Chicago. I would have picked Laner to stay over Crawford. And I know there are lots of other considerations, but um, Laner is just, at this point, more bang for your buck 
Um, you're going to get more out of him for more years. And um, he's proven that he can thrive in so many environments. I, I mean, uh, I, for a team to give him up, I, I think is a big mistake. Um, but teams are reluctant to pay him, right? And so he's had to do these show-me contracts, and he keeps showing and showing, but, but no one's ponying up. So as far as predicting where he might end up, I don't know. As far as predicting where he would fit, uh, I think he's proven that you, you can put him in just about any environment, and if um, you can make the contract work, he, he's going to work for you. Well, that would be absolutely terrifying if he sticks around in Vegas. And, you know, you mentioned GMs not being willing to give him the term that he desires. And that just, again, speaks to uh, GMs not really understanding how to value goaltenders. Um, Where do you fall on drafting goalies high in the draft? Are you allowed to draft goalies in the first round? (laughs) Of course. Uh, you, you lose your goalie card, actually, your goalie union card, if you say that goalies shouldn't be drafted early. Um, uh, there, was a, there was an analyst who now, I believe, works in soccer. Um, his name is DTM, don't tell me about heart, uh, on Twitter. And he once said that, don't draft goalies early. He said, it's, it, and it's not that you know, goaltenders aren't great. They're better than they've ever been. But goaltenders are like Ferraris. Right, like all the goalies in the NHL these days. This is back in about 2015, which you know we saw the highest save percentages historically of all time. Uh, they're all more than you know more than you need, right? It's not like the 80s where you know some goaltenders were you know um, a lot of goaltenders right were, were sub 900, uh, and then some really elite ones would would rise up. He said now, now that the spread is so close, it's like you got to get groceries, so you're going to take you know you're going to take this Ferrari to go get them, right? And you know if if stopping pucks in an NHL game is getting groceries then you're driving these sports cars around to do it. And uh, the margins between them are also historically low. So goalies cluster very tightly around, you know, a couple of percentage points. So, um, yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I forgot your initial question. I got, in, I got into so many metaphors. Oh, uh, drafting goalies early. Um, if you see someone who looks like they're going to be an absolute standout, uh, and then take them early. However, um, don't go drafting the bulk of your sort of depth goalies uh, with anything other than really late picks. I think uh, a goalie as a really highly touted, excellent goaltending prospect um, is just as likely or or close to as likely to pay off in the early rounds uh, as any other prospect. It's so interesting that you made the Ferrari analogy. I thought you were going to go with the wear out so much faster than they used to. Um, and while, while that may be true, um, it, w- it was more about the replacement value of goaltenders nowadays. And that I've been struck by how seemingly goaltenders are becoming both like NFL quarterbacks in terms of their outsized value to a team, but also like NFL running backs in terms of their fungibility in today's day and age and kind of the, the best way to use them is in tandem and maybe to not pay them, unfortunately, um, for, for those holding the goalie card. No, that's right. Uh, and I, I totally agree that that's the way it's going. And I think that's the way it should go. Um, the teams with two very good goaltenders uh, are just going to win more games than teams with one outstanding goaltender um, and, uh, you know, one goaltender who is who is who struggles, uh, which is which is essentially what the you know um, backup model has been 
in the league for a long time. Uh, but now we're seeing teams like, um, I mean, Dallas this year, Boston, right? Uh, teams that are so strong. Uh, it doesn't matter who you're playing in a given night. You know you're getting someone excellent. And you save money that way because to pay one guy to play 65-plus games uh, at a really high level, you're going to spend a fortune. Um, to play two guys uh, to play around 40, 40 to 45 games each, for some reason, no matter what their performance is, you're going to spend less for both of those guys than you are for um, a really, really elite goaltender uh, and their, their, their really cheap backup. So economically and um, sort of uh, physically with regard to strain and all the rest of it, uh, it just makes sense if you can do it to, to, to run a good tandem. So, so interesting. What team is doing goalie tandems slash pipelines the best, do you think, Paul? Uh, that's a good question. Um, right now, my, let's see, I think the best tandem in the league right now is probably in Boston. Um, however, uh, and, 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 and Dallas, Dallas as well. Dallas is doing a fantastic job. As far as pipelines go, though, um, tandeming uh, doesn't, doesn't allow for the same kind of developmental model that you would have with an anointed starter and then the up and coming prospect. So like if you look at New York right now, um, they were tandeming this year with two young, relatively young goaltenders and their star veteran who should be mentoring these young goaltenders was sitting. Um, so in some senses, when you have a glut of riches right, in, the, you know, in the prospect or relatively young goaltender category, it doesn't, it doesn't work. The development model isn't the same as it was when, for example, Pekka was meant was playing great still and mentoring a young Lucy Soros into, you know, into his eventual starter's role. So some teams have a glut of riches, have a great pipeline, but haven't figured out how to change from the old model, right, of one mentor bringing up a good prospect, and then they, they start backing up, and they, they go back and forth between the A and the NHL, and then eventually they step into the role. Um, uh, the, some teams have not, have not uh, figured that out. And if you look to the really great tandem teams like Dallas and Boston, they're not doing that, right? Their prospects are not getting NHL playing time unless there's injury. And injuries are less common because the goaltenders aren't playing 60 games. Their goalies are playing you know, 40, 50 games each, uh, two veteran goalies on both those teams. So uh, I don't think a lot of teams have figured out how to uh, tandem properly with an eye on also developing, uh, developing their prospects. The team that really stands out for me in this regard is Columbus because it sure seems like they've got quite the pipeline coming along and they had Corpus Allo kind of in behind Bobrovsky and he was able to tandem up with Merzlikens this year, but maybe that just speaks to what a good environment John Tortorella created. No, that's true. And I don't love to credit Torts with much, but um, especially with goalies, he has a very contentious uh, sort of, you know, uh, emotional relationship with, with his goalies at times. Uh, however, look at Bobrovsky's success in, you know, Colorado, um, uh, sorry, in Columbus, and then look at his success uh, or, or lack thereof in, in Florida this year. Now, there are a lot of factors there, obviously, but um, the fact that um, in a relatively untested tandem uh, and uh, sort of a fresh, a fr a fresh, goalie was able to arise 
in Colorado and just step right into the shoes of you know, an, an outstanding Vesna winning um, fantastic winner like Bobrovsky uh, does I think speaks volume, volumes not just to the prospect development and goalie acquisition but uh, I think it says a lot about the defensive structure that, that that team has had in place and the environment they, they give the goalies to thrive in. Paul, this was so much fun. Uh, I'm so glad that you came on here to uh, spend some time with a goalie muggle such as myself. <laughs> um, why don't you take some time and uh, tell the folks what you've got going on? Sure. Uh, right now, um, I have a few articles out, and, and, and uh, there are two or three new articles uh, that link back to my historical uh, research about uh, trophy winners and especially the Vesna uh, Trophy. So if you're interested in um, both the history of the award, how general managers vote for the award, uh, which goalies actually deserve um, uh, to win versus which goalies have won, uh, if, you, if you're betting on this sort of thing, uh, then these are absolutely indispensable resources. Uh, I haven't seen this research done elsewhere. And so it's, uh, it's ground that you want to cover if you follow these sorts of things. So definitely go to um, uh, ingoalmag.com. Uh, and that's where you're going to find most of, uh, most of what I'm doing right now. And uh, they actually have opened up a uh, premium service as well. So in, uh, it's a subscription service that if you're a goalie follower or a really avid hockey follower or hockey media person, uh, it's it's absolutely indispensable. Uh, so that 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 would be basically uh, my home right now, and, and the thing I, I'd certainly like to plug most. Well, that's awesome. You've been very generous with your time, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on. Excellent. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard. Please give a like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help the show out. Stick tap to Paul Campbell from In Goal Magazine for coming on the pod. Give him a follow at way to go paul on Twitter and check out his recent work. He uh, He's an invaluable resource for us goalie muggles uh, out there. All right, everyone. That's the show. Bye now.